take out your Bibles with me, if you would. James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one within where you could reach in the seat in front of you. Grab that, take it out, open it up to James chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you so that you have a copy of God's Word to be in, to be reading this week. James chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of this chapter today, and I want to read it uh, in its totality to begin with, and then we'll go back and look at it, breaking it up verse by verse. But James chapter 3, beginning verse 1, it says, Not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the image and the likeness of God. For the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brother, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Kind of a challenging section of Scripture, wouldn't you say? I mean, even reading through it, even hearing it, I think we all can say, man, there's, that kind of, that's, that's pretty convicting even just reading through it. Last week, if you'll remember, we talked about the fact that James said that that faith without works is dead. And we talked about the fact that dynamic faith, real saving faith, will show itself, will be evidenced by the fact that we do works for God. It will be shown in the works that we do. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. Our salvation, our true saving faith, is evidenced by the works that we do here In our section today, we're going to see that James continues that theme, that that our faith, our dynamic, our real faith, truly born-again believers, will not only be shown in the works that we do, but also in the words that we say. He speaks over quite a bit here of the tongue, not meaning that flappy organ behind your teeth, but literally the words that we speak. And these are important. This is an important point that James makes over and over throughout this letter. If you'll flip back real quickly even to chapter 1, verse 19. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
Verse 26 of chapter 1, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. We've already outlined, read chapter 3, many times over talking about our speech. He doesn't stop, though, there. Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. Again, speaking of our speech. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, speaking of the things that we say and boasting about things that we really don't have any idea of tomorrow in the future. And in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no so that you may not fall under judgment, speaking of, of oaths that we would make with our mouth, speaking. So this idea of our words is extremely important, and he, he talks about it continually through his letter. But just as last week, if you'll remember, when we were talking about works, and it talked over and over in the section that we did about works, the main focus of James isn't on the works, it's on the faith that is behind the works. This week we're going to see this as well, that though we talk of words, we talk of the tongue over and over, ultimately James isn't speaking of the tongue itself, he's speaking of the heart. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6 verse 45, the good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Jesus is saying, from what's filling our hearts, the abundance of our hearts, that is what will come out of our mouths. Many of you know I have an 11-year-old son, Zach, 14-year-old daughter, Brianna, and it's not an uncommon occurrence. As a matter of fact, it could probably, I could probably be safe to say it happens several times a week. We have a tile floor in our house. My son loves to run around barefoot, and you'll hear this, Dad! And right behind him, Brianna's running. It's not true, Dad! <laughs> you know, and I, I have to chuckle when I, when I see that because our oldest son is living with us now. And I can almost see him snickering a little bit because it wasn't too many years ago Brianna was the one running, Dad! And he's coming behind her. It's not true, Dad! You know, kind of it goes around, comes around. But that's not my point. My point is... We, we, have, we have a tendency, especially little kids, little brothers, little sisters, to be tattletales, right? Well, our tongues are the tattletales of our hearts, speaking and revealing what is truly going on in our hearts. That's James' main point that he's trying to get across, that this isn't a matter of, of speech as much as it is a matter of the heart. Well, let's take a look at this, going back to verse 1. He starts off by saying, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now before he gets into the day-to-day, everyday conversations that we have with our tongues, he specifically calls out those who use their tongues to teach God's word, to, to share the truths of God's word, to tell of the things of God and the duties of man. It's an incredible, incredible opportunity. It's an amazing privilege, but with that comes an enormous responsibility. We're not just representing ourselves. We're not representing a church. We are representing God himself when we speak of God's word. And that is why he says that this is such an important thing. 
It's not only important that we understand that we need to speak the truth, not give our opinions, but what does it say, what does it mean, and how do we apply it to our lives? Not, you know, not what I think, but what is God saying? But also, not only what we speak, but how we live. Not just speaking the truth, but living the truth. We have to have a life that backs that up. And he says, let not many of you become teachers. Understand, he's not discouraging people from becoming teachers. He just wants people to understand the enormous responsibility that comes along with it. He says that they will incur stricter judgment. They will be held to a higher standard. Hebrews 13, 17 says that those who teach God's word will have to give an account for what they did with it, for how they did it. Now, when it's speaking of judgment, it's not talking about like the great white throne judgment, separating those from heaven, those from hell. He says believers, my brethren, he's speaking to believers here. So he's speaking of the eternal rewards that come from, from the Bema seat of Christ. And before any of you start saying, well, that sounds like your problem, Pastor Brett. You're the teacher. We're just the listeners. So it sounds like something you need to deal with. What did Jesus say just before he, before he left left earth, went to heaven, he says, go and to all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. We are called to receive God's word and go out, just like we just talked about, just like we sang about, the world will see. We need to take this good news out, but we need to share all of it. We need to share God's word with those around us. What does God say? And we need to be very obedient to following what the Word of God says. Again, not sharing just our opinions, but also, as I pointed out, we need to live it. Our lives need to reflect this truth. Now, I do believe in chapter 3, verse 1, he is specifically speaking to pastors, Bible study leaders, those who take that mantle to teach God's Word in a more of an official type setting. But please, please, all of us are called to teach and share God's Word to those around us. Well, moving on, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, I love the fact that, that God uses human authors to bring us his word. And I love the fact that James, in his humility, says we all stumble in many ways. He could continue with, you know, he could go on condescendingly. Now, you all stumble in many ways. He says, no, we all do. We all do. And in so saying, he says, we all sin, we all fall short. There is no one infallible, no one who is sinless. As a matter of fact, John said, 1 John 1, 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But understand that both John and James, neither one of them are just giving us license to sin and go on just because that's the, that's the case. No, they're just stating an unfortunate fact. But James says something interesting. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, understand what he's saying here. That word perfect, again, is the same word that's used back in chapter 1, verse 4, and a couple other times since. Not meaning sinless perfection, but completeness. That finished work that we've talked about, where you reach that level. That, that level of spiritual maturity, that level of, of good spiritual health, if you would. And, and it's interesting that he points to the fact that if you don't stumble in what you say, that's an indicator that you've reached that. So how are we doing? 
How are we doing in our spiritual checkup? When you go to the doctor, what's the first thing the doctor does when you get to, you, you're doing your physical checkup? Hey, I'll take your blood pressure and everything. But when he starts his examination of you, what's he do? Stick out your tongue and say, ah, right? Ah, right? Take a look at your tongue. They can tell a lot by your tongue. The doctor can. That's why they do that. They don't want to do that just so you look silly. James is saying the same thing. Let's do a spiritual checkup. Let's take a look at your tongue. Open up and say, ah. Well, verse 3, as we look at this next section, verses 3 through 5, as I was reading through this, initially, taking a look at the whole section, this almost doesn't seem to fit in what James is talking about. And I'll get to that in a second. Verse 3, it says, Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Now, we say over and over, and need to understand this very clearly, that every word of this is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. But chapter and verse delineations are not. That was a man that decided to do that at one point, and praise God he did, because I wouldn't have been able to say turn to James chapter 3 verse 1 had he not done that. So it gives us great times that we can go to here, but they aren't divinely inspired, and just this, I'll let you know when it's my opinion. Here comes my opinion. Chapter 5 should, or verse 5 should end right here. Because to me, the second half of verse 5 is a thought that's included in verse 6. So we're going to go with that. But I, wanna, I say that because it's a, the, what makes this kind of stand out to me that's a little bit different than everything else is I have to ask this question. He's speaking of a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. And I want to ask this question. Does the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder in the ship determine or dictate or control where the ship or the horse goes? Be careful how you answer that. If you stick a bit in a horse's mouth and send him off to pasture, is that bit going to tell him where to go? The rudder on the back of a ship. You put a rudder on a ship, you push it out into the water. Is that rudder going to tell where to go? No. The waves are going to control it and push it. The, the wind is going to blow it all over. No, he even says very specifically, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. You see, the way the the bit or the rudder is used to direct the horse or the ship, and we're going to just, we'll pick one, let's go with the ship analogy, will reveal a lot to us about who the captain of the ship is. We're going to see a lot about the captain based on how the rudder is used to steer the ship. What he's like. Is the captain wild and crazy and out of control, or is he gentle and peaceful and completely in control? We're going to learn a lot about what his or her goals are. Where is the ship headed? How fast do they want to get there? Why do they want to get there? Those things will all be revealed in how the ship is driven and how it's navigated. We also can tell the overall condition of the ship simply by how it's managed, how it's driven. Now, I I say that that seems to not fit here, and we're going to come back later on to bring it back into play, because James takes his focus off of here now, instead of being on the captain of the ship, and he starts pointing to the rudder. 
He starts, we start, we're going to look at the next several verses here about at the rudder, and we'll take that analogy away and start looking again specifically what he's talking about, our tongue, our speech, what comes out of our mouths. And at the end of the section that we're going to look at right now, he says, brothers, it ought not to be this way. He's, we're going to look at three different ways that he describes our speech as to ways they shouldn't be, the way our tongues can be used in a way that doesn't reflect who we are, doesn't reflect this faith. First of all, we look at the combustion that our tongues can create. Look at the end of verse 5. It says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Wow. Speaking of our speech, the things that come out of our mouths and the devastation that it can cause. Comparing it to a fire, a wildfire, and unfortunately, can't we all relate so personally with the devastation a forest fire can cause? Just a few weeks removed from the Yarnell fire that claimed 19 lives. We know the devastation that it can cause. And that's what, that's what James is pointing to here. This isn't, he's not talking about a campfire, folks. He's talking about a roaring, devastating forest fire. And as the Yarnell fire was started with a lightning strike, that is how it can come as well. It can be lashing out in contention, just firing out of our mouths and destroying everyone in our path like a dragon fire coming out. But... Just like a lot of forest fires, they aren't started with lightning strikes, the lashing out in contention. They're starting with little sparks, the, the leaking out of carelessness. Having a conversation with someone and someone's name gets brought up and then all of a sudden, bloop, that little spark pops out. And before you know it, that, that fire starts burning and spreading. Just a little spark can bring down Countless acres of forest. Just as a forest fire will burn and burn and burn, as long as there is oxygen and combustible material, it will burn forever. The same is true with those words that come out of our mouths, that gossip, that rumor, that slander. When it comes out of our mouth, it will burn forever as long as there is oxygen and combustible material. As long as words continually are spoken and there are ears to listen, it will continue to do its damage. It will spread quickly as a wildfire. It will spread unpredictably and consume everything in its path. Proverbs 26, verses 21 and 22 says, Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. They kindle strife. That kindling dry wood that the fire spreads so quickly. Well, we see the combustion that the tongue can create. We see now, starting in verse 7, the carnage it can cause. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. 
Here he, he takes the analogy away from a forest fire and puts it into a pointed instrument like, a, like an arrow or a, or a knife with, with a deadly poisonous tip to it. He talks of the fact that, that birds and, and reptiles, everything, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, we've all been able to tame all of them. We have, we have circuses and all of this type of stuff showing this, but he says, but no one can tame the wild beast set in the cage behind our teeth. No one can. Speaking of this, this tongue, this sword, this arrow, the psalmist in verse, Psalm verse, or 64, I'm sorry, starting in verse 3, speaking of his enemies, says, They have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They aimed bitter speech. That those words that come out of our mouth, not necessarily gossip, but they come out with the intention to tear down, to belittle, to demean, to hold others down, to treat them, to keep them in their place. As the psalmist wrote here, this bitter speech, this arrow, they shoot from concealment. They hide behind things and shoot. They, we, they disguise the dagger that they use. We can disguise our words so cleverly, can't we? Behind condescending spirituality, criticizing sarcasm, counterfeit sympathy. I have to confess that Early on in our marriage, I was the master of sarcasm. I could use it to get my point across. And my point, I confess to you now, I would have denied it then, but my point was to keep myself in a superior position by putting down my wife and my kids. my My heart was wicked that way. I designed it that way. That was, my, that was my point, Stab. I just wanted to give it a, a special twist to get my point across. Now, that might sound graphic, maybe too graphic, but those of you who have been on the receiving end of those types of things know exactly what I'm talking about. And again, it's not just sarcasm. We can do it in so many different ways, disguising it, hiding behind things. I mean, he says here, shoot from concealment, getting behind our computers, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, shooting our arrows behind this, disguising it in flowery speech, even putting scripture verses behind it, but knowing that our point is to drive something home to somebody else. causing incredible damage. Well, he spoke of of combustion, carnage. Verse 9, the contradiction that our tongues can confirm. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Out of the same mouth, blessing and and cursing. Anybody relate to that? Driving along on your way to work. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be. Ah, you jerk! 
He didn't even signal. He just cut me right off. Of course, look, he's even talking on his cell phone, driving, he got texting in the other hand. Idiot. Jesus Messiah. <laughs> parents, parents to our kids. Oh, you're driving me crazy. I can't believe you didn't do that. I told you to get the dishes done in your bedroom and look at them. Oh, you go to your room right now, brush your teeth, and say your prayers. <laughs> Sitting around the dinner table. Praise you, Lord, for how good you are, how you abundantly provide for us. You're so good. I thank you. I thank you for my job. I thank you for this food. Amen. Man, the potatoes are cold. My boss is a jerk. And blah, 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 blah. Out on the golf course, hitting a bad shot. At the job site, hearing or participating with dirty jokes. And you praise God with that mouth. I have to tell you, this week, God has made me so sensitive to the things that have come out of my mouth. And I can't tell you how many times I've been. Ugh. Just even, even little things. Even little things as I'm mumbling under my breath. <laughs> Nobody else heard it except you and me, Lord. But I oh, just come under such conviction with that because I'm praising you, yet I'm saying these things out of the same mouth. And, and James is saying, brethren, it shouldn't be this way. He says, notice he says, my brethren. He's speaking to Christians. And he says, these things ought not to be this way, meaning that they are, but they shouldn't be. Our words shouldn't cause wildfires. Our words shouldn't contain deadly poison. Our words shouldn't be contradicting to the praise that we give, but they do. And it shouldn't be that way. And I would, I would think that we are in a room full of now, if we're all honest, we could say that. Yes. Can we, can we agree that our words shouldn't be that way? But it begs the question, then, why is it? Why is it? Well, it's a matter of nature. And he tells us in verse 11, does a fountain set out, send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Now, when I say it's a matter of nature, I don't mean mother nature, like, the, like he's giving examples here. I mean the actual nature of things. You see, the examples he gives here, he's, he's using a fresh spring of water. And he says, by nature, a fresh spring will produce fresh water. Bitter water can't come out of it because it's a fresh spring. By nature, a fig tree can't produce olives. It can only produce figs because that's its nature. Now, as Christians, we all have a flesh nature, a sin nature, that what we were born with, this nature. But as Christians, we also have the new nature, the new man, the spirit nature within us. And it is a new nature. When we are born again, we receive a new nature. God doesn't change the old one. He gives us a new one. And he doesn't do away with the old. As long as we are walking around on earth with our skin on, we have this flesh nature within us as well. And 
Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Talking about these two natures that are continually wrestling within us. Our old nature, our flesh nature, and our new nature, our spirit nature, continuing to war with one another. Romans chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, Paul goes on to what almost is like a rant as he's talking about the fact that it's, it's burning him up, it's driving him crazy, that he does the things that he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do, and he goes over in this, and he goes, how oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Praise God, Jesus can and before we go off, off the end with, with Paul saying, oh, we're hopelessly lost, he says, he, chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So while we continue to wrestle and we lose battles with our flesh, there is no condemnation for those lost battles. We are saved, we are heaven-bound, because and only because of what he did for us. By grace we have been saved. But the presence of this flesh nature that we have the continued existence of it within us is no excuse for us to walk in it. As a matter of fact, earlier in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and in Galatians 2.20, Paul talks about the fact that we must crucify this flesh nature. We must kill it. Romans 8, after he says 8 in 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse, verse 12 of chapter 8 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's a continual process to put this flesh side of us, the deeds of flesh, to death. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to stay here for most of the rest of our study. So you can... Keep your finger there in James and refer back to that if you wish. But Colossians chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae about much of this same thing. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. This old flesh nature that you still have, consider it dead to immortal, or immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. If you're a note taker, underline all. It's not a multiple choice. Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This walk, this battle that we have of our flesh and our spirit nature, we are to put aside the deeds of the flesh, put them to death. And he lists several things there, and among them, most of them speaking of things that come out of our mouth. He talks about anger, that deep smoldering bitterness. That, but the wrath is when that erupts and comes out. Malice, 
taking joy in someone else's suffering or the bitterness that comes when someone else is blessed, when things are going well for them. That again, coming out in, in slander, abusive speech as he talks. That filthy language. Lying. Bearing false witness. Saying things that aren't true about someone or about something. Even saying things that might be true factually but with an intent to deceive the right information, but the wrong implication, equally as bad. James tells us, and Paul is telling us here, that there is no place in the life of a believer for this type of speech. He says, you once walked this way, but now you are dead to that. He talks about being putting that life off, those things off, and putting on the new the verbs indicate that that is a once and for all action, not something that we continually change our wardrobe with. Paul also wrote to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, starting in verse 29, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We've talked about the fact that James is speaking to believers Paul writing to the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus. There's a problem with speech. They use, he uses words again, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Praise God, there's not a problem with that in the church today. Or is there? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we speak in wrath, in anger, in bitterness, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, not unto condemnation. He says, the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Believers, you're sealed, but we can grieve him by the words that we speak. I know. I know, what you're, I, I, I know what you're feeling right now because I felt it around Thursday afternoon. I get it. I get it. All right. All right. I get it. Look at Colossians chapter 4. What, what, what does it look like? I mean, we, we've seen now the examples of what we're to put off, what we're to do. What, is, what are we supposed to do? Well, chapter 4, verse 6, Colossians. Let your speech... Always be with grace. Again, note takers, circle always. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Do you want to know how to respond to each person in each situation in your life? Paul tells us here, right here, let your speech always be with grace. 
What's grace? Unmerited, undeserved blessing, un, undeserved favor. Everything that we say should be full of grace. Yeah, but they deserve to be torn apart with it. Yes, okay. But it has nothing to do with what they deserve. Always with grace. Again, always reminding ourselves that if it wasn't for grace, where would we be? Seasoned with salt. Now, again, I know, reading this, in our flesh, our first reaction is, yeah, I like to season my, my words with salt because I like to rub it in a little bit, make it sting some more. But that's not what he's talking about. You see, salt is a preservative. It kills bacteria. It gets rid of the putrefaction that started with these nasty words. If we use, it, if we use salt as a preservative to stop it, to, to stop the, this bacteria from spreading. That's what he's talking about. Every word that we should speak should be aimed at stopping any, any bad thing that's going on, any vicious thing that has started, gossip or, or slander. It should be used to stop that, to put it out. Salt has healing properties, not only individually, but, but corporately. I came across just a great illustration of this yesterday. I just love how God does this. Yesterday afternoon, I read in 2 Kings chapter 2. This is after Elijah has gotten onto the fiery chariot, been taken up to heaven, and Elisha, the mantle, has now been passed to him as God's mouthpiece. And he, he goes back in to civilization. And the first people he comes across, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Everything seems to be pretty good on the surface, but, but the water that, that's being brought in is bad. And because of that, there's no fruit. The, 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 the crops aren't producing. So, verse 20, Elisha says, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring of water, and he threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters, or healed them. There shall not be from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified or healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. What a what an amazing picture of what salt can do. And what a beautiful picture or illustration of what our words can do if they are seasoned with salt. We can speak into situations that are, that are, that are putrid, that are, that are dying, that are fruitless. And with our speech, seasoned with salt, full of grace, bring forth glorious rushing waters. We can, we can take polluted puddles of pettiness and turn them into polluted, or I'm sorry, purified puddles of praise. You know what else salt does? Makes people thirsty. And if our speech is continually seasoned with salt, people are going to hear that. They're going to notice that we talk differently. We don't talk the same way as everybody else. We don't speak bad about the people who have done things to us. We don't, we don't spread gossip. We stop it. We don't, say, we don't repeat those kind of jokes. We don't say those kinds of things. And people see that 
and they become thirsty for the living water that is within us. They want to know why we're different. And we can share why we are. Okay? So we see the problem. We understand the solution. But if it was just that easy, hey, let's all go, right? Colossians 4, 6. Let's just go do it. Problem. We just read in James 3, 8, no one can tame the tongue. We're, we're, we have a dilemma here. We can, we can feel exactly like Paul does at the end of Romans. Why do I say the things I don't want to say and don't say the things I want to say? Why? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this? Well, let's go back to what we talked about in verse 3. Remember, I talked about the fact that this isn't about our tongues. This is about our hearts. And the illustrations that he gave aren't about the rudder or the bit in the horse's mouth. It's about the rider or the captain of the ship. In Colossians, I hope you're still there, Colossians chapter 3 again, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is awesome. It means the same word as umpire. It means the one who directs. It means the one who determines. It means the one who decides. It means the one who controls. And let's put it back into our illustration. He's speaking of the captain of the ship. So in other words, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ captain the ship of your heart. Now, I know there's a really popular bumper sticker out there, been out for a long time, and if you have it on your car right now, Sorry, but God is not your co-pilot. He does not even want you in the cockpit. He wants you in the back of the plane serving the other passengers. You leave the driving to him. So often we say, all right, Lord, I'll let you drive for a little while. I'm going to catch a little nap. But as soon as I wake up, I'm taken back over again. We talked about this a few weeks ago. James tells us that we are to be slow to speak and quick to listen. As I think about that now, and with regards to our application that we're talking about here, we need to be super duper uber slow to speak for a while. Even if it causes some uncomfortable lengths of silence while we wait to hear from the captain as to what we're supposed to speak. Situations that come across and, and, and discussions that we're having. We need to be slow to speak. We need to stop speaking for a while and hear from the captain. We need to listen carefully to the cockpit, to the, to the, to the captain of the ship. What would Jesus say in this situation? And until we become very, very comfortable with that, we need to be very, very slow in our speech. We need to... Listen for those little checks in our system. Because, again, quickly we could come up with an answer, one that we're real comfortable with, one that I've given a lot, one that I can... No, 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 no. Jesus wouldn't handle it that way. And he's the captain now. 
Verse, verse 16, Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness with your, from your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So we talk about the fact that he's supposed to rule, he's supposed to captain our hearts, but it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That richly dwell within you means to abundantly reside, not occasionally visit. His word needs to take up permanent residence in our lives. We need to be in it, we need to be reading it, we need to be meditating on it, we need to be praying through it. He's driving the ship. We need to have his word abundantly living within us. And look at it, just ta- it says uh, like it almost just flows right out automatically. His wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, edifying each other with every word that we speak, full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, I, I don't think that there is any coincidence whatsoever that as soon as he says this, our verses 15 through 17 that we just read, he goes into relationship training. Husbands, wives, parents, children, employers, employees, strangers, neighbors, one another. He talks how we're supposed to deal with each other. And then when he's all done with that, 4-6, what we just said, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. You think our words have a lot to do with our relationships and how things work out together? Well, (laughs) the point of this morning isn't condemnation, obviously. It's conviction. I believe that, that all of us, if we're honest, have been touched a little bit by this. And like I said, this week has been, (laughs) be ready, because this week, like I said, has been real, it's amazing how sensitive I've become to what's come out of my mouth this week. Be ready for that. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Remember, James said in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. We all do. We, We said, you know, John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But he didn't stop there. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The goal of, of, of this, I pray, is conviction for every one of us, realizing how, how we've used our, our tongues in a way that doesn't reflect this life that we've been called to. But, but that we're not under condemnation for that. We're just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we take that and we, and we confess that and we receive the forgiveness. But then we place Jesus in his rightful place in the captain's seat going forward here. So that our speech does reflect the faith that is within us. Lord, thank you for how good you are. And Lord, there are times when... Your word, as it says, is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing. And Lord, I pray that today that's what happens where it needs to happen. Lord, that we understand that we have all sinned against you this week. 
in what we've done, in what we've thought, in what we've said. Lord, in things that we've done, things that we haven't done that we should have. Lord, in the things that we've said, and the things that we shouldn't have said, but also those things, Lord, that we should have said that we didn't. Lord, you're so good, though. And as your word tells us, we just confess that to you. Each one of us, right where we are, we confess this. We receive your forgiveness, Lord. Lord, we place you in your rightful place as captain of our hearts. Lord, we pray that every word we speak would be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you and others would be blessed when our tongue reveals the new nature that you have placed within us. Lord, let our tongues boast of you and the great things that you have done. In your name we pray, amen.